Welcome back to the Brianna Approved Podcast. We are on episode 29 and it is the first episode of 2022. And we're going to be talking about three free tips for the new year, new you health goals, because I don't want people to get too far down the rabbit hole of setting themselves up for failure or getting disappointed or running out of motivation, which is a very limited resource. We are also going to do our nerd alert, which will be focusing on CoQ10 and health benefits that come with this amazing little antioxidant vitamin. But first, we are going to get into our fun fact of the day while I sip cafe. Did you know that only about 8% of people actually do keep their resolutions for the entire year? This is obviously not new information. How many of us have actually tried to set a goal with, you know, pure intentions to change our lives and, you know, it's whether that's I'm going to start fresh on Monday, I'm going to start fresh with the new year and then, you know, they say by February most people drop off and then of course to try and actually keep a goal the whole year is really quite arduous. So we really want to focus on changing behaviors before changing maybe some of our goals, and focusing on habits before we always just focus on results. So let's say, for instance, 60 minutes of movement could be a behavior or could be a habit to focus on as opposed to saying, I want to lose 30 pounds, right? Or maybe something like, I want to eat one more serving of vegetables per day as opposed to fitting into jeans that I wore in high school. Again, many times we can't stay consistent because you are maybe chasing and focusing solely on the results. And then what happens is when maybe you don't see the results pan out according to your timeline or to your expectations, you then start to begin to lose motivation. You feel unmotivated. And then you generally start to lose patience as well. And so you do truly need to focus on the habits and learn to love the habits and the behaviors and, you know, changing the beliefs and the narratives around all that, as opposed to just focusing on some kind of end date on a calendar. And so I think a really good reframe is kind of asking yourself, like, how else is this goal that I am setting impacting other areas of my life? right? So if my goal is to, I don't know, lose weight, that's a big one this time of the year. How is that actually affecting my thoughts? So maybe if your goal is to lose weight, again, the intention could be pure, but then if you develop a really disordered eating habit or unhealthy relationship around food or have black or white thinking or all or nothing mentality, that could negatively be impacting your thoughts, right? We also want to look at, again, when we're saying, how else is this goal that I'm setting impacting other areas of my life? Like, how is this impacting other goals that I've set for myself and my values? How does this goal that I'm setting relate to beliefs that I have? My finances, perhaps. Maybe this is financially draining you if you've set a really unrealistic goal. How does this goal impact my time and my energy, right? These are all other areas that I think are important to assess when we are picking a goal that we want to actually sustain and maintain. So also understanding what is driving the decisions that you're making, right? What are my intentions? What do I value? And what values maybe that I have around this feel out of alignment relative to the goals that I'm placing and to some of the end results, right? 
So you do truly need to focus on kind of enjoying and changing your behaviors, but also your narratives and your beliefs around uh, the goals that you're setting, right? Not solely the result of just what is this outcome going to be? So trying to have some more macro patience, if you will, with the result and some sense of urgency or what I would call micro impatience with your behaviors, with your patterns, with your choices, decisions, because those are things that you have a bit more influence on. Everybody's not going to get to the same destination at the same time. So you do have to be aware of that and kind of adjust your expectations accordingly, right? And really truly try to normalize enjoying the process of getting healthy and normalize slow progress as successful progress. It's really important to understand that maintenance Um, or again, small steps, those are all still steps in the right direction. So it might not always feel like your timeline of what you love, but health doesn't have a date on a calendar. It doesn't happen overnight, but small changes certainly do add up over time. You know, slow fat loss is still fat loss. 20 minutes of movement is still better than zero. Getting to bed one hour earlier is an improvement relative to, you know, staying up until 2am, right? So, um, just keep being boring with your health, right? Stop trying to overcomplicate things, look for a quick fix, biohack, bro science your way into health. It's one of the most important relationships that you are going to have in your life. So with any relationship, you have to take time to get to know it and where some of your own red flags are, where some of your toxic behaviors are. Um, you know, take time to romance and court and date and get to know these different areas of your health and then, you know, work on those areas appropriately. And so, you know, I just want to leave you um, with the idea of making foundational health cool again. That should kind of be the vibe for 2022. And now I want to get into knowledge bites because we know that knowledge is your brain's favorite food. The knowledge bite section of this show is going to be three health tips that actually cost you zero dollars. And again, I think sometimes people believe that getting healthy has to cost a lot of money, and that's not true. Maybe if you keep starting over with, again, having a very myopic view of doing a six or 12-week shred or, I don't know, trying a fad, something like a waist trainer or whatever it is, and you're throwing money at maybe not great quality supplements and all of that, um, there are things that you can absolutely do like right now that cost no money that will have a huge impact and a really great return on your investment as far as time and energy goes. So the first thing that I want to talk about is nature therapy. Oh, God. I mean, we have all experienced this, right? You come home from a day of playing in the sun or skiing in the mountains or just being outside, right? Walking the boardwalk, whatever it is. Um, you feel better. When you come back from vacation, you feel better, right? And there is research behind this. So there was actually research that was done in a New Zealand health survey, and it found that living somewhere with a view of the ocean is in, is associated with improved mental health. So I always joke because I say like, you know, wherever you go, there you are. I I didn't come up with that saying, obviously, but this idea of like, would I rather be crying looking at the ocean or crying in my bedroom, right? But like there is some of this idea of being in a new place and environment can be very healing. It can be very triggering as well, but being somewhere that, you know, 
your surroundings are important, right? So there's been some cool research that talks about people who walked for 90 minutes in a natural environment setting. They actually reported to have lower levels of anxiety and reduced neural activity in the part of the brain that can deal with uh, anxiety. So things like the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which I've talked about um, in the past. And of course, you know, a lot of us, it's the winter now, so it's not as motivating to get outside unless you're living in somewhere like sunny California or Florida, right? I, I definitely miss that this time of the year or unless, you know, maybe you want to get yourself like a, a treadmill and look out of the window or something like that. But we do spend a lot of time inside, um, disconnected from nature, and we need to really place importance on this for our psychological health. So nature therapy can really involve anything from spending time um, literally outside, grounding or earthing, right? So taking your shoes off and walking barefoot, as Sam Hunt would call it, working on my summer feet, right? So like never having shoes on in the summer. Forest bathing, which I'll talk about in a second, which is very popular in the Japanese culture. So again, just spending time outside. There's even research that talks about looking at pictures of nature, how this can enhance your mood and reduce some of our stress hormone levels like cortisol and adrenaline. So um, forest bathing, for example, like I said, which is really popular in Japanese culture, has actually been shown to lower heart rate and blood pressure as well as lower cortisol levels and support a healthy stress response. So what forest bathing does is basically you're going and spending time outside, like whether you're hiking or you're just hanging out, chilling in nature, right? Again, because there are different compounds that are released by trees called phytocinides, which have been found to actually support the immune system. And I've talked about this in the past as well. Terpenes, which are these organic compounds that are produced by various plants um, and are actually a big part of the forest aerosols, right? So um, you can spend time outside and actually feel like super relaxed afterwards um, through this concept of forest bathing, like I said, which is really popular in Japanese culture. This is why like when I come home from skiing, I feel amazing, right? You're also getting some of your vitamin D levels increased, right? Which we know can increase beta endorphins as well. So daily D as I always joke about. And if you can't do that, something like bright box therapy can be really helpful this time of the year. We also know that grounding and earthing, right? This is when um, the body, our body, particularly like our bare feet, can come in contact with the earth's natural electrical charges, right? So this has been shown to actually reduce some of these inflammatory cytokines that can be um, problematic, that can affect things like, you know, free radical production and reactive oxygen species. So grounding and earthing can improve sleep. It can promote general well-being, right? And so again, the, the key here is that you're taking your shoes off and you're touching your bare feet to the surface. So this could be grass, it could be sand, it could be under a tree. And if you think about it, like think about when a kid's acting up, you say like, you're grounded, go to your room, you're grounded. Um, the idea is that you're supposed to like come back and feel calm and relaxed. So I'm sure you've also, if you've gone to the beach, like go and put your feet in the sand and like really dig them in there and sit there for a little bit and ground yourself, right? Like go ahead and give yourself an adult timeout and then try and come back in a bad mood. It's really difficult, right? So, um, you know, there is science. It's a bit hippy dippy and it's a mixture of both, but also especially spending time by the sea. So water, the ocean, um, this has been shown to be extra beneficial as well as the mountains and the forest where maybe there is something like, um, a stream or a waterfall, right? Because negative ions are really abundant in nature. And so 
These negative ions have been shown to neutralize free radicals. They can also help with blood flow, support immune function, um, and there's even some research on their ability to increase serotonin. This is why people will put like Himalayan rock salt lamps in their office like I have them in my my house. The mechanism of action for negative ions, right? So what it does is it works on the nervous system and the circulatory systems, again, helping to reduce free radical damage. And again, free radicals are these positively charged molecules. So they can damage cells like that are around them and disrupt some of our natural biochemistry. So I kind of use the joke about free radicals being like your super drunk friend who is just like a hot mess and they're breaking things and they're calling their ex-boyfriend and they're embarrassing everybody, right? Um, And so when we have antioxidants and things like these negative ions, they can kind of neutralize some of these free radicals, which like, again, antioxidants are kind of like your super responsible friend who's like, you got to start drinking water and you got to like take some activated charcoal and go to sleep and put your pajamas on. So earthing, when we do this, it gives these free radicals um, when they enter their body, right? They can be new, these free radicals can be neutralized. So again, also ocean air and seawater in particular contains things like sodium, magnesium, chloride ions, again, which play a role in the the physiological role in the central nervous system. Okay, so that was your first free tip. Your second free tip is go to sleep. I mean, I thank my mom as an adult now low-key every day for prioritizing sleep in our family because whether that's napping or going to bed early, right, sleep is literally one of the easiest and simple ways to optimize your health. It's It costs you $0 to go to sleep, right? It's not easy for everybody in the sense that there are a lot of people who have sleep disorders. There's about 100 different sleep disorders that exist. Um, and there's many reasons why people can, can't go to sleep. But when I'm talking about sleep as well, I mean getting quality, deep, restorative sleep and developing a healthy sleep hygiene pattern, right? So when you actually go to sleep and you wake up and you feel well-rested the next day. This is important. And sleep hygiene means that you kind of have this nighttime routine, which is important. So the um, CDC actually said that about 33% of Americans admit to getting fewer than seven hours of sleep per night. And there was a study done in 2014 um, at the Mayo Clinic in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and they found that those who were sleep-deprived had higher rates of heart disease, respiratory illness, um, premature death, and even cancer. So this is not novel, again, right? Um, But we know, again, that there is a lot of correlations between those who are getting less sleep. They have a higher likelihood of being overweight. They have tend to have um, a bigger waist circumference as well. Um, research at the Le- University of Leeds in the United Kingdom found that those who get less than 5.6 hours of sleep per night, um, those individuals had a higher association with higher blood sugar levels, increased inflammation, so some of those inflammatory markers, and decreased thyroid function. And um, the same research also found that for every um, additional hour of of sleep that a subject got, that was linked to almost one-third of an inch uh, decrease in waist circumference and a drop of BMI and close to half a point. So it is important, again, because we know that when we're not sleeping enough, that this can affect our diet directly and indirectly, right? So it can lead to when we're not having good night's sleeps. UC Berkeley does a lot of research on this that talks about alterations in our hunger and satiety or fill full hormones, right? So we can actually upregulate our hunger hormones like ghrelin when we're not getting enough sleep and downregulate some of those feel full hormones like leptin. 
So seven to nine hours per sleep is going to be important. What I do like to remind people is that, like, listen, not everybody needs eight hours to feel amazing. Some people need less. Some people need more. And there are some people that are just night owls, and they're kind of prone to that. And from an evolutionary standpoint, that kind of makes sense, right? Because from a, a tribal kind of mentality, if everybody was, let's say, a morning person, everybody had to go to sleep at 8 p.m. like me, then the whole tribe might be killed at nighttime. So, like, don't be hard on yourself if, you know, you're – you don't need eight hours and you don't need to bed by to be asleep by nine, but it is really important for slow wave sleep, which is that deep restorative sleep. I'll probably do a future episode on that. But developing sleep hygiene, I think it's going to be the focus here where you're trying to go to sleep in a completely dark, cool room, maybe utilizing some nervines if you need like hops and, you know, kava, valerian, um, you know, doing something at nighttime to kind of calm the mind. So that could be like, uh, sound bath, or that can be a sauna, that could be journaling, trying to stay off social media, utilizing blue blockers, you know, making sure you're you're aware of what's going on with your cortisol and melatonin levels, um, and kind of trying to go to sleep and wake up at the same day every, every day is going to be super important. Okay, so, so far we have spending time in nature, right? Nature therapy, that's free. You can go outside. In the winter, it's going to be a bit more difficult maybe not as enjoyable because it's cold, but bundle up and then going to sleep. Number three, which I think is one of my favorites is doing an energy and spiritual detox, aka practicing emotional hygiene and working on shifting your focus towards spiritual nutrition, which we will talk about. So it is really important, not only this time of the year, but I think again, the the cumulative load of what's been going on the past two years to really take time to focus on our emotional health and take it as seriously as we do our physical health, right? Many times we do value the body more than we do the mind, and sometimes it should be reversed, right? So like when we feel sick, we go to a doctor, right? But when we feel emotionally imbalanced, we many times will suppress it or we put it on the back burner or we use unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so while that sounds like it could be helpful, a lot of the times that can backfire and um, you've suppressed that for too long. And then what happens is we have, or what we need to happen is having like an emotional colonic and we become emotionally constipated and this can affect our lives and kind of a ripple effect and not always in a positive way. So practicing emotional hygiene means that we're placing importance on taking care of our emotions, which again are all just pieces of information, right? Um, our minds, our thoughts, as well as assessing and doing an audit on our positive and negative self-talk, our relationships that we have with our bodies and our food. A really nice, helpful prompt that I've done with a lot of clients is writing a letter to your body. So it might be a love letter. It might be an apology letter. Um, and then also taking responsibility for the participation that we continue to allow in our lives, whether that is a friendship, a romantic kind of relationship, coworkers, whatever it is, and then looking at our past psychological stressors and emotional traumas, right? So all of these things are as important, if not more important than placing this emphasis on physical health, right? So many of us want to get like shredded and like summer bodies. And yeah, of course, everybody wants to look good naked, but it doesn't matter as much if you during that process end up developing really unhealthy relationships with food or you isolate or you don't have balance and like the cost of that just the doesn't it doesn't add up right so 
you have to have balance with your mind and body. Um, and that's also actually going to be really important for your cardiovascular hormone immune system. I mean, I think episode four of the podcast was psychoneuroimmunology. So that direction, that bi-directional relationship between our mind and our body. And there have been studies that show that people who habitually engage in negative emotions and, um, negative thinking can experience greater feelings of stress and physical pain due to increases in cortisol and prolactin, right? Um, and then this this can also lead to increases in things like cardiovascular disease and stroke, right? So it is really important to kind of do an emotional audit or an emotional recalibration, as I call it, where we are, again, assessing where we need to, quote, detox from pro-inflammatory people, um, places. I mean, even taking a look at your living environment, right? Um, what doesn't give you good energy vibes, right? Just general baggage that doesn't contribute towards our healthy goals and developing some of that spiritual nutrition, right? So like what is nourishing my soul? What is nourishing my mind and my emotions? And what has now become um, emotional junk food, right? And those are things that we have to sometimes put like pen to paper and really take a minute and think about. So, you know, I I would like to also add to that, like this time of the year, so many people are focusing on adding all these new routines and behaviors and patterns. And that's great. But also don't underestimate the power of subtraction and withdrawing attention from people, thoughts, habits that just truly don't serve you and your highest good anymore, right? So, um, you know, if your thoughts are toxic, your body's going to be toxic despite all the cauliflower that you try and eat and replace that with. So really maybe ask yourself, where can I do less? Where can I subtract from, right? Um, because ultimately at the end of the day, you are the one that has to be ready for change and realize that you're really the only person that you have control over. So if you are doing all these new things and you still feel that you're, you know, not balanced as you'd like to be. Um, you feel tired, not rested, right? If you're tired of not feeling good, if you're tired of energy vampires, tired of saying yes to things that you really want to say no to, um, tired of doing the same thing and getting the same outcome, right? Then it is truly time to reevaluate how you are allotting and spending your time and energy and how that is actually feeding your soul and your goals. So that is the big the big three free tips for the new year, new you. I want to end the show with nerd alert on coenzyme Q10 because I think this is a really important and misunderstood supplement that I generally include in my core four, if you will, protocols. So now it's that time for nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd alert. So what exactly is CoQ10? Some of you may have heard of it as ubiquinone. Um, So CoQ10, it's actually this vitamin-like substance, and it's found in nearly all cells in our human body. Sometimes it's called vitamin P. Sometimes it's written out like CO, the letter Q, and 10. Um, My dad calls it CoQ10. That's that's not it, but I love when he says that. But CoQ10, it's actually a vital component of all of our cellular energy metabolism, and very important for the mitochondria. So as we know, the mitochondria is super important for all of our cells function for ATP production, um, for scavenging, you know, antioxidants, preventing lipid peroxidation or oxidative damage, right, to your lipid membranes and cells. And what's interesting to note is that the level of CoQ10 is the highest in organs with, um, with, 
high rates of metabolism. So things like your heart, your kidney, your liver, where it functions as an energy transfer molecule, right? So particularly if you have a past of cardiovascular disease, if that's something that's important to you, um, maybe you've had lab work done. If you're on a statin, CoQ10 should definitely be one of those things that you think about. So CoQ10 is also an essential cofactor uh, in the mitochondrial electron transport chain. So what it does is it accepts electrons from uh, complex one and two, which is basically an activity that is what we need to make ATP or energy, right? So it also, what's interesting about CoQ10 is that it acts like an antioxidant, which again helps to protect cell membranes. So if you remember earlier, antioxidants are kind of like your responsible friend, right? So we can make some CoQ10 endogenously or on our own, like the body can, but as we age, the body's ability to make CoQ10 begins to decline. Generally, we see this around age 25. So CoQ10 deficiency can also occur if we are deficient in certain nutrients, right? Like vitamin B6, um, if we have increased levels of oxidative stress, which can be due to aging, excessive exercise, toxicity, um, if there's other mitochondrial diseases that exist, right? Um, and if we're currently taking something like a statin. So those with, they're also finding that those with diabetes, cancer, Parkinson's disease, congestive heart failure have been found to have decreased plasma levels of CoQ10. So that's a little bit about the background. I want to talk about some benefits and then we'll finish with how how much we should actually take. So one of the main benefits for CoQ10 is going to be cardiovascular health, right? So the highest concentrations of CoQ10 in our bodies are actually found in the heart, liver, and kidneys. So super important for supporting the cardiovascular system. It can protect against oxidative damage that can happen with um, small dense LDL particles, again, because not all LDL is bad. Um, And again, oxidative stress, obesity, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, right? These are all parts that, that play a role in the pathogenesis or the development of cardiovascular disease and oxidized LDLs and Uh, lipoproteins and triglycerides, that can be problematic. So CoQ10 can help to reduce some of the oxidative stress markers that have been associated with cardiovascular disease. Again, because it also acts like an antioxidant, it is really important, this lipid antioxidant, which prevents basically the generation of free radicals, which when that happens, it kind of has this domino effect. When we have too many of these free radicals or your drunk out of control friend, it can damage and modify proteins and lipids and DNAs. And so what CoQ10 does is it helps to go and quench some of these free radicals. And it can actually help to recycle other antioxidants in the body, like vitamin C, like vitamin E, um, which is really important. We've also seen really cool research for CoQ10 with the hormone system. So particularly for things like PCOS, um, which can be implicated when there is Um, alterations in glucose levels, insulin, again, um, higher levels maybe of testosterone, which again can create inflammation and hormone imbalances, um, disrupting the function of the ovaries. So insulin resistance, for example, has been shown to impair the function of the mitochondria, which can actually affect the quality of egg follicles. So there was a randomized trial um, published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology, where they found that women with PCOS received 100 milligrams of CoQ10 daily, 
while another received a placebo. After 12 weeks, the women with PCOS who took CoQ10 saw significant reductions in glucose, insulin, and total, as well as LDL cholesterol levels. So something to think about if you are having some hormone imbalances, which again, we want to always follow that string down and see what's going on. We also know that um, CoQ10, if you're just super tired all the time, right, and you're having low energy, you're super fatigued, um, this can be related to some adrenal stuff, right, going on. So CoQ10 has been shown to influence the secretion of adrenal hormones. But again, it has a really important role in energy support because, again, in order to make energy, the organelles that are inside of our cells, um, known as our mitochondria, right, take nutrients basically that we consume and turn them into unusable sources of energy, which we know as ATP. So in order for this conversion to happen, CoQ10 needs to be present. And so CoQ10 produces cellular energy. And then what we know is that ubiquinol is actually responsible for about 95% of the body's energy production. So ubiquinol um, can improve you know, health and energy of all of our other organs as well, and then supporting if there's low cellular functioning. And then we also know that healthy aging is something I've done an ex- I've done um, an episode about too. But when we have that accumulation of free ra- of free radicals that can produce reactive oxygen species, that can lead to mitochondrial dysfunction and cause accelerated aging. So CoQ10 can help to balance the health of the mitochondrial membranes and support that aging process. We also know, again, that um, really important if somebody is on a statin, right? So what happens when we're on statins is that they essentially reduce an enzyme in the liver known as HMG-CoA reductase. The name's not super important, but what happens is when this enzyme is being reduced, right? Like it decreases our cholesterol production, right? That's the point of being on a statin. But it also decreases the production of CoQ10. So taking statin drugs can deplete your body's reserves and production of CoQ10. So supplementing with this um, can be really important and it can help to kind of restore some of your natural levels of this nutrient. So kind of to countering the effects of statins. And then of course, um, there's blood glucose support as we touched on um, a little bit before and brain support again, because the brain is about 70% fat, which we know it makes it super susceptible to oxidative damage. So very important for, um, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia, right? Cognitive decline. And again, um, it is really difficult to get CoQ10 from the diet alone unless you're eating things like liver, which is not uh, super popular in America. So again, because CoQ10 is found in highest concentration in animal tissues that require the highest energy production, so liver and heart. So um, unless you're eating organ meats a lot, um, you can also get it in things like, you know, grass-fed beef, oysters, sardines, mackerels. Um, but uh, vegetable sources are going to be nearly impossible. You'd have to eat about 77 cups of broccoli to get 100 milligrams of CoQ10 and about five pounds of liver to get 100 milligrams of CoQ10. So supplementation is generally just a more efficient route. Before I talk about um, how to take it, a popular question in regards to CoQ10 is ubiquinol versus ubiquinone, right? And you'll see this a lot in the marketing side of things. 
So CoQ10 supplements can be found in the oxidized form known as ubiquinone or the reduced form known as ubiquinol, right, which is the active form in the body. So the names many times can be used interchangeably, but research has found that both forms are equally capable of increasing circulating levels of CoQ10. So what matters most actually is how much total CoQ10 you take um, to be able to absorb it no matter what form you're taking. So the difference in absorption rate is actually very minimal. What they have found though is that separating your dosage out, so let's say you're you're aiming for 200 milligrams a day, doing 100 milligrams in the morning and 100 milligrams um, in the afternoon, as opposed to a total of 200 at one time. So it's estimated that about 60% of an oral dose of supplemental CoQ10 is excreted in the feces, and its absorption is actually highly dependent on food intake. So really important to take it with some other dietary fat. And so the reference range generally is around anywhere from 50 uh, milligrams up to 200 milligrams for a higher dosage. And as always, we do want to make sure that we are um, working our way up and starting slowly. So um, if you do exercise a lot, if you're over the age of 60, um, if you're on a statin, if you've had cardiovascular health issues, um, you maybe want to be that person who's on the higher end of things, right? Maybe that 200, 300 milligram, but always, you know, talk to your doctor first. And um, you can also look at something like the physician's desk reference for nutritional supplementation, um, nutritional supplements, I'm sorry, to um, see some more research on that as well. So that's a little bit of information for the new year, new you, right? Um, make sure that we are emotionally recalibrating, doing a emotional colonic. Um, making sure that our supplements are in order, staying boring with our health, getting back to the basics, cutting out pro-inflammatory people, and really figuring out what some of our intentions are when we're setting goals, really focusing on behaviors and habits before just the results, and seeing how these goals that we're setting are truly impacting other areas of our life, like our thoughts and our values, our finances, other beliefs that we have, and most importantly, your time and your energy. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It's the one thing that really helps get it out there. I have some really exciting guests coming up on the show this year, so I can't wait for that. And I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day. Ciao. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Pew.